Hey babe, welcome to the She Factor Podcast, a space where we believe empowered women empower women. We're here to inspire, encourage, and equip you to live your best life and find your purpose. Join me every week as we dish out real life tips and tricks on all things juicy, inspiring, and educational, but of course, never boring. I'm Tori Ganahl, a millennial woman on my own journey to She, and your host of the She Factor Podcast. Grab your favorite cocktail or Starbucks drink and settle in for real, raw, and hilarious conversations as we dive into what makes us as women unstoppable. Well, we're so excited to have Jacqueline Villeneuve on the podcast today. Welcome, Jacqueline. Thank you for having me. Yes. How are you doing this morning? It's been a great start to the day so far. It's a lovely Monday morning. Um, I want to go ahead and get started just by you telling us a little bit about your journey because it is such an incredible one and I will definitely not do it justice. So um, how did you get to where you are today? And tell us a little bit more just about yourself and what you're doing. Well, first of all, thank you for your kind words. Um, I am, to summarize everything, a single parent, a nonprofit founder, and a social entrepreneur and survivor of sexual violence. So most of the work I do intertwines and I actually started my journey as a nonprofit director when I was 17 years old. That was when I founded my first nonprofit. And at 18, I moved overseas to Kenya where my journey really began. And it was after several years of volunteering in the country and just really taking that leap of faith and having true belief in the work that I was I was working on with my um, partner in Kenya. And yeah, that was really the start of sort of the, the journey that has unfolded over the last uh, few years. And through just lived experience over between the, the time frame of being 18 years old with some really big dreams to then actually putting those dreams to, to work and, um, just speaking with, uh, women and children who had been affected by, um, sexual violence and having my own personal experiences that led me to founding my second nonprofit, She Matters and our social enterprise, Olive and Annie, And yeah, really everything intertwined and um, led me to where we are now. Awesome. And there's so many intricate parts to what you're doing. You're, you have your, what is it? You're like foot dipped in so many different pools. I don't know the best way to say that. Um, (laughs) um, That was pretty accurate. Yeah. (laughs) um, What was kind of your like aha moment? Like, this is what I meant to do. This is my passion. This is what I want to pursue. Well, I think when I began, I I did a lot of volunteering with a very large nonprofit here that worked with youth and really inspired youth to pursue their passion and learn about social entrepreneurship and fundraising. And that was really formative for me. And so in, in moving to Kenya and then being exposed to corruption in the organization I was volunteering with and really starting from scratch. I I learned a lot of the realities of doing development work from a very, very young age. And at the time, I thought my aha moments were 
um, in the first years when we opened our children's home, um, which was the first nonprofit that I founded, and hearing some of the things our kids shared with us when they started to feel at peace on their journey to healing and just generally being able to be kids again. Um, But then now so many things have happened since then that I... And I started a second nonprofit. And I'd say in the last um, year, I really had my true aha moment. I was um, speaking at a conference and I was training police officers and medical professionals and social workers on our survivor-led sensitivity training that we developed within my second organization, She Matters. And I shared my story as a survivor. I shared the stories of some of the women that we work with in Kenya, some of our children's stories, and just really emphasized the need for sensitivity and the need to strengthen the reporting process and show the frontline providers the impact that it has on our lives as survivors. And very discreetly after I shared my personal story before really diving into our training, we had a short break. It was a pretty heavy topic that I covered with sharing my personal experiences. And a woman came up to me and gave me a piece of paper and said, open this later. And it wasn't until the end of the day after our training was finished that I actually had the chance to read that paper. And this woman was in her, I'd say, late 50s, maybe early 60s, um, very close to retirement age. And on the piece of paper, it said, um, from today moving forward, I am no longer a victim. I am a survivor. Wow. And for me, that was my aha moment, knowing that all of the things that had happened along the way really led me to that point. And that's when I really thought to myself, this is what I'm meant to be doing. How powerful was that for you? I mean, your personal story and, you know, all the women that you've worked with, like that switch from victim to survivor. Um, can you like dive into that a little bit and just like the power behind that and the meaning behind that? Well, we have always really emphasized the importance of using proper language with frontline providers. And even just amongst our community of survivors, we always really encourage women to and and men, any survivor really, to identify in a way that is empowering for them. And we really promote that we didn't choose to experience this form of trauma. It was something that happened to us, but was not our choosing. So we just recently, it hasn't come out yet, but it will be out by the time this your episode airs, had an episode with an amazing woman. Her name's Mary Lee, and she's talking about her experience with domestic violence and overcoming what she did and especially overcoming the court systems and kind of her power of going from victim to survivor. And I think that there's so many women out there that are listening to this and just women out there in general who, you know, are survivors of sexual abuse, sexual violence, um, you know, any sort of violence or trauma, um, but haven't had the strength to tell their story and come out and talk about it. So how have you 
I guess, gained that strength to help others tell their story and, and to change the conversation and to change the, I guess, push the needle on, on these topics. How have you found that strength within yourself to do that? I think the inspiration for really sharing my own story was driven in a desire to no longer have to feel shame that I needed to hide what I had experienced. But with that being said, I had not shared with anyone that I had been abused both sexually, physically, verbally by a former partner for over three years. Um, It wasn't until I entered into a new relationship when I, in passing, shared with this new partner um, why I was a single parent who did everything on my own without really pushing the need for support from the other side. And in finally sharing the truth, it, it really felt like a weight was lifted. And what I always emphasize to survivors is that you don't need to share your story publicly in the sense of sharing on podcasts and sharing on social media posts, if that's not what you're comfortable with. But you should share with someone just for the sake of healing, really. Um, when you share your story as a survivor it and just admit to yourself and to someone what happened to you, it's really so freeing. And be that a counselor, a family member, a friend, it doesn't need to be a huge gesture, but it will help you greatly on your path to healing. And for me, I, I really just felt like I shouldn't have to hide anymore. And I, I didn't want to anymore. And I was, I was also greatly impacted by the story of a young woman who is a member of our family um, within my organization in Kenya, who was assaulted when she was 16. She became pregnant And she just really persevered through that trauma and seeing her at 16 go through so many of the struggles that I faced as a single parent and really try to find the positives in everything and every day and seeing her thriving in school again was really what showed me that I didn't need to sit in silence and that something needed to happen to show other people that they are not alone. And that was really my inspiration for sharing my truth, but there, it wasn't a big (laughs) glamorous story necessarily. I just said it in passing. And then when it, once it was out, I just felt that weight lifted and Originally, when we started our organization, we started it off as a campaign for the social enterprise that we have, Olive and Annie. And with our launch party that we had, we had women coming forward who, for over 20 years in some cases, they had never told anyone that they had experienced sexual violence. 
And so for me, that was really telling that we need to shift our mindset that we have to hide in silence and in fear of the repercussions in sharing our truths. Um, Survivors shouldn't need to hold back the experiences that they've been through and in turn show their family members and friends why we might have struggles from time to time. Um, we, We shouldn't have to do that. And it shouldn't be something that holds shame for us it, it again roots back to the fact that we didn't choose for this act to happen to us, but we persevered through it and we rose above our trauma and we continue to fight every day to survive really. And so I think it's, it's more so something that should be celebrated and it really highlights the, the strength of survivors. So that was a little I guess, background into into how I decided to share my story. But I really try to emphasize to people that it it doesn't need to be something that's very out there. And you're still just as strong, even if you choose to share in a more private manner. Well, first of all, I mean, such an amazing story. And like I said earlier, like the work that you're doing is so incredible. And um I touch on this as well, but being a survivor myself, I completely resonate with everything that you just said. And um, I think that it's so important that you do, as a survivor, tell your story to somebody. And if our listeners out there do need a resource or um, a place to be safe to tell that story, um, we'll provide some resources for you as well. But um, I want to shift back into what you're doing and um, especially how you're doing it all because you have this amazing background. You've had these incredible experiences and you're doing such amazing work. You're also so young You're um, and a single mom. So how has that affected you and how have there been challenges because of this or maybe major wins because of this? How has that experience been? Time management has become something that I've really had to focus on in order to manage everything and really finding that circle of friends and family that can support you through the good times and the bad was pivotal for me um, to now have two organizations and a consulting business as well and be in school full time and be a mom and have the social enterprise without the support of my family, especially it would not have been possible. And even in saying that I understand the privilege that I have in having a supportive family, a lot of single mothers that I know don't have that same network. And so because of that, I've been able to accomplish a lot of things. But with that being said, in a, over and above time management, it's really a passion for the work that I do and the the team that I have standing beside me. Within She Matters, we have an incredible team, both in Canada and here in Canada now, which is entirely volunteer driven at this time. So women who are survivors who find peace and healing in the work that we do with the She Matters community within uh, Olive and Annie, we 
also have a huge team of single moms who work together to create our products. We have Sammy, our lead artisan, who is a huge ally for survivors and has spoken out in his community against violence against women. And he just really is such an advocate for the work that we do. And my team at ZLT Hope Homes, again, so supportive of our overall mission and so dedicated to the impact they have on our children's lives. And so I've just been very fortunate in that sense to have been surrounded by the right people from the beginning. And there have definitely been challenges. I mean, I started my organization when I was 18. And as much as it's great that we have had success, that's not always the case when you have a teenager running an organization. Um, And it was, there were a lot of learning curves along the way. Not only, I was very naive when I started and I completely acknowledge that. I mean, I don't think anyone go actually moves to East Africa without having lived there full time and doesn't experience any learning curves. But one thing that was really important for me was educating myself through courses and finding individuals who had skills that I knew I didn't have and join having them join our team. And this is something that I continue to do. I know what my skills are and I know the areas that I'm lacking in. And I always try and bring in people who can fill those gaps. You can't do everything on your own. And when you try to do everything on your own, you will not succeed. Community is so important. And I think that really helped to bring us to where we are now. And we're still growing. Um, But yeah, I'd say the biggest challenges that we faced were really rooted in me being well, in part, me being so young and not having all of the tools that we needed to succeed. But then in some ways, that actually was really beneficial because I was in very many ways fearless at the time when we started ZLT Hope Homes. And there were a lot of challenges that came up, especially in our first year, where someone who had more education and maybe was more mature would have packed their bags and said, I'm not doing this. So while it also hindered me in some ways because I didn't have the educational background that I needed to do all of the tasks that I currently do now, it also helped us to have that sort of pure sense of perseverance. And it's something that really only... I think young people have where the the sort of darkness that exists in our world hasn't tainted you yet. And yeah, and you just really kind of like a make it or break it. Yeah. And and you're okay with living off peanuts and (sighs) you're okay with making a couple hundred dollars a month in the beginning because you're just there for the the cause that you're passionate about. And so that was really what life looked like in the first few years of operation. And then after I turned 21, I was a young mother and 
that came with a whole new set of challenges for us. In no way did I allow my pregnancy and the fact that behind closed doors, I was in an abusive relationship stop me. Um, There were many times where that relationship, the partner that I had tried to tell me that I should not pursue this any longer. And I was just so passionate about what I was doing that I, I didn't let one person's opinion really affect me. And I'm glad that even though there were many times where I was very close that I didn't stop because this work really was what kept pushing me through um, those very, very difficult times. And we, we had some moments where we lost donors um, only, only a few, fortunately, because I was a young mother at 21 years old who was not married and some people didn't like that. But fortunately, I just decided that I was not going to allow those negative perceptions of the birth of my child, which was the most incredible thing to ever happen to me. I I wouldn't let that stop me. And I actually returned to school when my daughter was four months old. I kind of did life backwards and I didn't go to university straight out of high school. Instead, I moved to Kenya and started ZLT. And then when she was four months old, I said the future that I would want for her would include education. And that's the same future I want for my children in Kenya. So I'm going to pursue my own education myself. And I also was thinking about the sort of advice that I would give single mothers that we work with in Kenya and our long-term goals. And I knew that I needed to have an education background myself. And that's when I joined school again. And it's been a slow journey, but it's actually really helped me to tap into the areas of my work that I wasn't able to fill yet. And it's really helped me as a director and as a leader to fine tune a lot of the skills that I had through the work that I was doing on the ground and help me become a more well-rounded director as a whole. How has living out your passion impacted, obviously you've just touched on that a little bit, impacted your life, your relationships, like where are you now in that journey and, and how is living, living out your passions and really giving into them changed you as a person? It can be the most amazing, beautiful adventure and something that is so incredibly challenging all at once. Uh, Because I work in the nonprofit sector, even within our social enterprise, we have 100% give back. Financially, I was never set. And when you're so passionate about what you're doing, you will often sacrifice your own stability for the stability of your organization. And it wasn't until this year or the last 12 to 18 months, I'd say, when I really had to start thinking about my stability. I'm a young mom. I'm a single parent. I don't have any financial support from my child's other side. And so for me, it was really sitting myself down and saying, it's wonderful that you're so passionate about what you're doing, 
but your child needs you to also focus on her future. And by no means were we out on the streets um, where she was being neglected, but I just thought to myself, if I didn't have my family here supporting us at times in the sense of safe shelter during difficult times, what would our reality be? So I started doing things a little bit differently. And I would say that it's had a very positive impact. But and there have been so many beautiful moments along the way in living my passion. But you also have to be strategic about where you want to be in five years, 10 years, what happens when you have a family, when you have when you're ready to have a partner, um, what will your realities look like if you choose to become an entrepreneur and if you choose to live out your passion and just really ensuring that you take care of yourself while you're pursuing that passion. And in my case, it was doing something that assists others in, in their lives and, So for me, I just had to take a step back and really focus on that self-care and work on strategic planning and development of the life that I wanted for myself and my daughter and also my children in Kenya and my organizations there and really align everything into the direction where I want it all to go. How did you see that vision? Like, was it, did you set goals for yourself? Like very specific goals? Did you have a mentor? Like, how did you even begin to think about that vision and where you needed it to be in order to take care of your daughter and in order to make those next steps and in order to change your life personally as an entrepreneur? Like, how did you initiate that? I would say strategic planning has being the biggest focus for me in the last 18 months. And this is something that my mentors from the age of 17 told me that I had to do. But rooting back to some challenges we've had, when you're 17, you don't always listen exactly word for word to the things that your mentors are telling you to do. You might take bits and pieces, but not really understand the impact of the words that they're saying. And so for me, it wasn't until I became a parent when I realized now I really need to start listening to the advice my mentors gave me from a few years back when they told me I had to focus on my own education. And when they told me I had to start thinking about my financial planning and actually compensating myself for the work that I was doing appropriately. And so that was something that was a, a pretty big lesson for me to, to really be more strategic in what I do and, it's, it's had a great return since I really started to focus on that strategy. You can be doing a hundred things, but if you're not doing it strategically, you may not get to where you need to be. So in sort of intertwining all of our organization's operations to work hand in hand, that's made a huge dif- difference in my life. It's 
saved myself and my team so much work. And we really work as a community now, rather than each individually having to do certain things that lead to overall success within each individual organization. We now work hand in hand, essentially. And just aside from that, I'd say, yeah, the the mentorship that I was given from the very beginning was really necessary to the growth of my organizations and myself as an individual. And for anyone who's pursuing their passion, I think you need to find mentors who work in the space that you're interested in getting into. And it can be something as simple as buying those individuals a cup of coffee every few months if you're fortunate enough to find someone who's willing to be a mentor on a more long-term basis. That's fantastic. But don't be afraid to ask tough questions and don't be resentful in a sense when they tell you things that you might think are a little bit harsh in the moment. They're telling you the things that you need to hear. And for me, I remember being 21 and I just had a baby. And one of my mentors said to me, you're doing great things with the organization, but you really need to get back to school. You need to have a degree. You need to focus on your long-term future and you're not going to get to where you want to be without a degree behind you. And so that was really the push that I needed. And I remember feeling very, um, I had mixed feelings at the time. I thought it was a little bit harsh, but it was what I needed to hear. And sometimes you won't always hear the things that you want to hear and that's okay. And you need to be willing to learn and grow and welcoming growth is one of the biggest things that you can do to get to where you want to be and not being afraid of it and just sort of diving in with open arms and embracing it. And that's one thing that it took me quite a few years to learn that and really understand it. But now that I do, I always welcome any possibility for growth. And including, I mean, your own mentorship of others now, I know that you mentioned that you have your consulting business. So how has it been for you to kind of turn the tables and be a mentor rather than be the mentee and giving back to others and helping them, you know, not make the mistakes that you may have made or, you know, have the failures that you had? Um, What has that experience been like for you? More and more throughout the years when I spoke with young entrepreneurs who had social causes and nonprofit founders, I was hearing the same things in regards to struggling financially independently, in regards to having to deal with government officials, not knowing where to start when it came to fundraising. And it it just seemed like everyone was having very similar problems and struggles to what I was struggling in my fir- with in my first three years of operation with ZLT. And so I actually started consulting as a method of fundraising for the children's home. This would have been about three, four years ago. But then when I had my sort of sit down with myself <laughs> and discuss 
the fact that I needed to start focusing on my own financial goals, that's when I really decided that I wanted to pursue consulting and I wanted to do it in a way that was affordable, that was approachable for social entrepreneurs and nonprofit directors. And the business is still very new. We've we've only been in operation since May of this year, but I was seeing really big changes in the organizations that I've worked with. And I've seen founders and nonprofit directors really start to understand how fundraising works, understand how the process of working with the government works in, I work with a lot of clients who have nonprofits in East Africa, where I was for over seven years. And so sharing those insights and also assisting largely with strategic planning has made a huge impact for my clients. And so that has been really transformative for me to just, to be able to share the knowledge that I've gained throughout the years in running these organizations and my businesses and being able to just really share that knowledge so that we can all thrive together and we don't have to make the same mistakes that I made in the beginning. Um, I love working with clients who are just starting out and who are very eager to make a difference. But when you when you start a nonprofit, there's really no how-to guide. So it's it's been very, very interesting to work with the young nonprofit founders who are who are in their first year of operation. But I also really enjoy working with nonprofit directors that have been in operation for several years and they're doing amazing work, but they might just be struggling in some areas. So we really try and provide the tools that will assist them in reaching their goals and just guide them to that path where they can feel more secure in their operations. And in working with, you know, all these different organizations and and seeing them succeed, what has been, I guess, the number one takeaway for you like if you could give advice to anyone trying to start a nonprofit or who's doing it right now and struggling, like what would that number one takeaway be that you've found like working with all these other organizations and mentoring them and also starting your own? I would say that your team needs to be a primary focus for you as a founder. You can have a wonderful idea and a vision for a substantial impact that you can make with your organization. But if you don't have a strong team with policies and procedures standing behind you, then it's going to be very difficult to achieve your goals. And finding that team and that community to help you to achieve your mission of your organization it's really key. So strategic planning is what I really emphasize to all founders that I work with. If you have a community resource in your area, there are regional business centers, there are 
some at, at times, depending on where you live, there are free resources that can assist you with developing essentially a business plan for your organization, which even as a nonprofit, I think is something that everyone should be doing. Um, there are a lot of free resources online when it comes to policies and procedures development, but don't be afraid to invest in creating those strong foundations. It's something that I was taught very early on in my organization, even as an 18, 19 year old founder, we had very strong policies and procedures. I was surrounded by a team of incredibly intelligent and experienced um, individuals on our board of directors for ZLT. And my team in Kenya were women who are so passionate about the work that we did. And my partner in particular, um, her name is Jerusha. She is just the kindest and most dedicated and honest person. So without Jerusha's support, I know now and back then that accomplishing what we did wouldn't have been possible. So even if you don't have your Jerusha yet in your life, but you want to start a nonprofit Wait until you find that person who you can trust wholeheartedly. There's no rush. And it's really important to plan everything effectively so that you can bypass any challenges which could arise very early on that could potentially shut you down. Finding that community that you can trust and rely on will be the key to your success. So that's really the number one takeaway that I recommend to any founder that I work with. And then on that note too, what is your advice to any woman who is really trying to start, jumpstart their passion, turn it into a career, really do what they think their purpose is in life? What is your advice to them there? I would recommend to do your research and take time to really hone in on your skills and what you're passionate about. I feel like as young women, we are really pushed to rush through everything in life. Um, There doesn't need to be restrictions and a timeline for everything that we do. If we plan things effectively, we will see that we're going to be much happier and much more successful. So that's a huge piece of advice that I would give anyone who wants to start a business or a nonprofit or quit their job and and start something. Don't be afraid to plan and don't be afraid to pursue it either. I think that Everyone is capable of pursuing their passion and it really just takes time to build up to what you're wanting to achieve and being able to pursue the thing that you're passionate about. And there really, really isn't any rush. And a lot of my life, I felt like I needed to do things on a timeline. And there were times when I would rush things and I would see often that that would fail. And so 
as I started to embrace the journey of all of the things that I was working on and slow things down, I saw that things were far more successful. So that in particular is the number one piece of advice that I would give to women who are interested in pursuing their passion. And above all, when you're going into pursuing the thing that you're passionate about, no matter what it is, people will tell you that it is impossible to achieve. And you have to continue to remind yourself that it it is possible and that if you believe in something enough, you will achieve it. I love that. And I think that'll resonate with so many women out there. And I think that there are so many women who are trying to follow their passion, but, you know, just aren't don't know if they're ready to take that step. And I think that you've really proven that, you know, you can make it work and you can make it into a career and you can find ways to support yourself in that. So um, it was so awesome having you on. And I think your journey is so incredible, as I've said. So um, I can't wait to follow it. And I can't wait for our listeners to follow it and to see all the amazing changes that you're going to make in society. And um and just change the world. So you're doing incredible things. Um, So thank you for sharing. And I just want to finish up with a couple of questions for our listeners to get to know you in a she factor sense. So if you could just finish the sentence and, um, and then we'll finish up. But so my number one goal right now is my number one goal right now is to finish our updated version of the She Matter survivor-led sensitivity training for law enforcement and to engage at least 12 police departments across Canada in that training throughout 2020. Awesome. Um, my purpose is... My purpose is empowering survivors and walking with them hand in hand on their journey to healing and reclaiming their power. Amazing. And then last question for you. In, I guess it's a statement. In five years, I see myself. These are very tough (laughs) questions. Very (laughs) deep and insightful. If you had asked me this a year ago, my statement would be very different. But in five years, I would like to see Olive and Annie providing 75% of our operational budget for ZLT Hope Homes. I would like to see myself settled in a home which I have never been in the same place for more than a year and a half. So that will be a huge accomplishment for me and my daughter. And I would like to see She Matters serving as a community for survivors around the world to know that their voices are heard, that it's a safe space for them to access resources and find community and to serve as the number one training tool for law enforcement to gain an understanding on sensitivity in relation to sexual assault cases. Love it. Those are all perfect answers. Um, well, thank you so much again. It was so wonderful having you on and, um, 
If you're interested in following Jacqueline's journey, can you tell people where to find you and where to go to to follow your journey and, and see what you're up to? So on Instagram, you can find me at Hey It's Jacqueline V, as well as at Olive and Annie at She Matters United and at ZLT Hope Homes. And I just wanted to say a huge thank you for having me on the podcast today and for all of the incredible work that you're doing with She Factor. Oh, thank you. Well, it all complements each other and us women have to empower each other and tell our stories and that's how we change the world. So definitely the two way street. So I appreciate having you on and for you just being so honest and vulnerable with your story and um, for sharing all your successes and maybe the not so successes because that's how we (laughs) all learn from each other. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thanks, Jacqueline. Thank you so much. Looking for more than a weekly dose of She Factor? Find us on social media at The She Factor or head to our website, thesheefactor.com to keep up to date with all the trends on our blog and daily She email. Still want more? Subscribe on our app for access to live events near you, special offers from our brand partners, and lots of exciting tools to help you launch your life. Thanks for listening and see you next week.